Hello, welcome to this week's episode of the Empowered Artist Collective podcast. My name is Jennifer Apple. And before I go into the introduction for what this episode is about, I want to let you all know that we are going to be taking a mid-season hiatus. We have never done that before, but here on the back end of the Empowered Artist Collective, we, like you, need to take some breaks. We want to practice what we preach, which is getting centered and focused and prioritizing our well-being and ourselves in order to come back full, ready to give you all of the content, resources, and conversations we are so proud to be giving to our community. With that said, keep an eye out for an episode guide episode that we are going to release that will help show you what the conversations that we've had thus far have been. If you are looking for a specific kind of conversation, it will guide you towards that conversation. It's going to be a really helpful resource for the Rolodex of episodes that we have had thus far in both season one and this chunk of season two. Don't worry, we are coming back for the completion of season two in the fall. We are super excited for what we have in store for you. And in the interim, you have plenty of episodes to go back to and reflect upon. In this episode, I talked to attorney Lauren Berkison about the ways to protect oneself with or without representation in this industry. We unpack the importance of hiring a lawyer to navigate contracts and other alternatives if hiring one is not possible. Lauren provides negotiating tips on ways to be assertive while maintaining respect, the value of trademarks and copyrights in safeguarding one's work, protecting one's intellectual property rights, and key clauses to look out for in contracts such as payment terms, favored nation clauses, exclusivity agreements, and merchandising rights. We also discuss the challenges of social media and content creation in today's climate, as well as encourage artists to be proactive in protecting themselves and their livelihood. Enjoy! Hi, Lauren Berkison. Hello there. <laughs> so nice to see you, have you in this space. For anybody who does not know who you are, who are you today? So today I am a podcast interviewee. Yes, you are. Um, <laughs> so I'm Lauren. I am a mom of two boys. Um, I'm an attorney, a copywriter, and I'm also actually a school librarian currently. Um, and a kids book blogger, a writer. So I kind of do a lot of a lot of stuff, a lot of I different things. I love it. Yes. I'm curious um, what made you decide to get into law? Um, so I've always been a more of a creative person. When I was younger, I always wanted to write. And mm -hmm. of course, my parents were like, well, do you want to make money when you're a, <laughs> you know, a grown up or do you not want to make money? And you're like, so I don't. I, like, well, I just want to do what I, mean, I love. Exactly. Right. I just wanted to do what I love. But I also was like, okay, but I guess I kind of need to make some money. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, I've always had dreams of becoming a famous author for children, but that's it's very hard to make it in that world. So I figured, all right, well, if I go to law school um, and become a lawyer, um, I'll be writing and I'll be reading a lot. And so my dad's an entertainment attorney. I didn't want to go quite that exact route. Um, so I decided to go into intellectual property law. And um, that's definitely more of a creative field because I'm dealing with trademarks and copyright. So the, the subject matter is a lot more creative and more fun and interesting. Yeah. So it's been um, a great journey. Well, I'm really excited to have you in this space. It feels like a very palpable time to be talking about um, legal things while we, were, we are in a strike. Um, mm -hmm. And so I'm really grateful to go on this journey with you. Um, and see what unfolds in this capacity. I have many questions in my brain, but to start, why would somebody in the creative space need to hire a lawyer? Oh, there's a lot of a uh, <laughs> lot of reasons. Um, obviously, the from the the most basic is to help negotiate contracts, mm -hmm. right? Typically someone in the creative space, whether you're an artist or an actor or an author, you are going to be getting a contract from the production company, the publishing house, whoever it is. And those, um, those contracts are essentially these big companies giving you their wish list. So the contracts that, um, that the actor or the creative um, professional is receiving 
are going to be pro, you know, pro these big companies. It's going to be their wish list, everything that they want. Mm -hmm. So they're not really in the artist's favor all the time. Um, So it's very important that you don't sign anything that you don't understand um, and that you are able to advocate on behalf of yourself. And um, obviously a lawyer will help the creative do that better. Yeah. Um, in the creative industry, there's also also a big issue with intellectual property. Um, you know, who owns your, you know, do you have a trademark? Do you have copyrighted work? If you're, if you're um, a musician and you record a piece, who owns that piece? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's just a lot of different issues if you are in a Broadway musical and um, there's going to be merchandise. Is your face going to be on it? Um, and if so... You know, who, you know, are you retaining as the artist the rights? Are you owning your intellectual property? Are you owning your name, image, and likeness? So lots of different reasons. And again, each specific industry within the creative realm and within the within the industry and the entertainment industry is going to have its own specific nuances. So there's not really one, you know, overarching thing that you could say about you need this, you need that in every contract or in every, you know, situation, but a lawyer can help you navigate um, all of the different the different pieces. Yeah. I feel like it gets, as you said, like incredibly nuanced. And now you just even think about the types of contracts that I have signed or have been given over the course of my career and how there's usually similar types of clauses, but the verbiage around all of it completely shifts as per the needs of whoever's giving me said contract. And exactly. um, having to you know, look through with a fine tooth comb and be like, um, what is this versus what is this is, yeah, that's, I I don't have a degree in those details and those differences. Um, If I were to go and find somebody to perhaps help me, I would imagine I'm trying to go towards one that is in the entertainment field specifically so they would know these nuances or is it like, cool, most lawyers, even if they aren't specifically trained in this, they could, they have the resources and can access it even if it's not what they deal with on the daily. So kind of a little bit of both. Um, Obviously there are lawyers that are experts in their, you know, Mm -hmm. specific fields. My dad, for instance, um, he is an expert in music law and recording contracts and and stuff of that nature. Um, That being said, um, if you wanted something, you know, if you are going into Broadway and, and your, you know, your face is going to be on merchandise or whatever, you might want someone who's really familiar with licensing, which many intellectual property lawyers can do. So it really, I think there's a lot of overlap yeah. um, between um, the different types of law and a contract is a contract, right? Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of communication between lawyers um, also in collaboration if necessary, Um, An intellectual property attorney will really help you with, you know, if you, let's say, you know, someone like Matt Damon, he has his name trademarked for entertainment services. So, you know, someone, if you want to make sure if you have a more, you know, common name, you might want to get a trademark on your name to prevent anybody else from using that in the industry. Um, Again, if you're a recording artist, you might want to um, file registrations on your songs or your writing or whatever it is. And then you would want, you know, someone that does more intellectual property work, but again, lots of overlap, um, and lots of negotiation in each, in all of these different fields. So it's likely that someone could help you with both, but if you are very, 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 very specific questions, then sometimes it's great to go to like an expert in that exact area. Got it. Well, let's dive on in, okay? Yeah. Um, I love examples of things or keeping things um, a little bit more specific so that we're not fully talking in generalizations. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's say I were an unrepresented actor who does not have a manager, who doesn't have an agent. And obviously mm-hmm. in that specific situation, my agent would be the one who would be able to negotiate said contract, whereas the manager would not. Mm-hmm. Um So I do not have anybody who is working with me in that capacity to negotiate. I receive a Mm -hmm. contract and I read it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then I don't know what I don't know. Right. What do I do? (laughs) So 
I know that this is probably not the first thing that an unrepresented actor is going to want to hear, but the first tip is always going to be if you can find somebody, a lawyer to help you negotiate, mm -hmm. um, I would always recommend that. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for that. First, you just said you don't know what you don't know. And I remember being a baby law clerk. I clerked for an appellate court judge for about five years. And when I first started, there was um, a criminal case that came up on appeal. And I knew nothing about criminal law. I had always done intellectual property and some civil litigation. And I missed something. Mm -hmm. And there was something that was relevant. Um, I don't remember. I can't remember if it was a statute or you know just important case law. But I missed it. And I was devastated because I felt like I had let down my judge. And he sat me down in his chambers and he said, Lauren, you can't know what you don't know. Yeah. He said, now you know about this and you know to look for it. He mm -hmm. said, but you know, if you are in this new world and you have no experience with this exact issue, don't beat yourself up about it because you can't know what you don't know. So that's the first thing. You can look at this contract that you've just been given. You can look up the terms you don't know. You can understand every word that's in there but you don't know if it contains everything that it should contain to protect right. you, right? So that's, I mean, the first thing I would say is if you can get a lawyer, get a lawyer. The other reason that that's so important is that I know that for a lot of creatives, especially people that are just starting out, money can sometimes be an issue, right? Mm -hmm. I know from, you know, the, the writing industry, which is where um, I'm heavily involved, um, but it's, it's an issue. However, it will be a lot more costly to fight over something that didn't work out in your favor down the road than to hire someone to help you negotiate that contract and to make sure that you're super protected in the beginning. So let's say there's a provision, um, there's something in the contract about, you know, when and how you can leave the show, right? And you think it's fine, but you don't really know, you didn't really consider all the nuances. And then let's say someone gets ill and you need to leave the show, but it's not necessarily, you know, a life or death matter, but you still feel that you need to leave. Well, if you have problems getting out of the show, that legal battle or whatever is going to ensue mm -hmm. is often going to be more costly than if you had an expert look at your contract in the beginning to just make sure that everything was fine. Yeah. So my first advice is always going to be to get my first bit of advice is always going to be to get, you know, a lawyer if you can. If you can't get a lawyer, um, don't sign anything until you understand every word. I mean, look, I know that we all go and we lease cars and we, you know, have people do work on our homes or we, you know, whatever it is. You even like sign the thing that like pops up that's like, you agree to these terms when you like right. log into exactly. your on iTunes. Websites. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Mm -hmm. And we yeah. don't read them. We just sign on the dotted line, right? But when this is your contract and you're dealing with your livelihood, you want to understand every single thing in that contract. Um, so if you don't understand Google, ask questions, you know, look up how to define certain terms. I mean, you, you know, the internet is, is your best friend. It also can obviously be your worst enemy, but yeah. in situations like this, you can really learn a lot from doing your own research. Um, also don't be afraid to use your voice and ask questions. Um, you have to advocate for yourself. You know, you can't be scared to ask for what you need. Um, but again, I always say, make sure, and this is like my mom coming out, but make sure you're polite when you're negotiating on behalf of yourself. You don't want to, you know, burn bridges. You don't want to ruffle feathers. There's a way to be assertive and to advocate for yourself while still maintaining your dignity and being polite and being respectful. And that is going to carry you farther than anything. Do you have like certain so tips about what you have found to be towing that fine line of being assertive and also um, pointed about what it is that you need while also being respectful, especially for um, women, especially for marginalized folks, especially for folks who are um, usually not um, able to take up space in the same kind of way. Right. Um, it's funny you say that because I remember being in a courtroom when I was younger for a mock 
trial Mm -hmm. and it was before students and the students were all like, oh, she did awesome. You know, they were giving critiques at the end. And the judge, who was this old white man, basically told me to be careful because I was borderline the B word, he said. And I was like, "Wow!" if I was a man, no one would have said that. Not a question. Mm -hmm. Not a question. Um, I mean, I think a lot of it is common sense. Um, You know, polite and being polite and using your manners and being respectful without being you know, part of my language without being an asshole. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all know the difference, right? Yeah. You know how to have a, a polite conversation. You know how to ask for what you need in a way that comes across as honest and authentic without sounding like a jerk. Yeah. And I think, you know, tone of voice, even like when you, you know, saying please, saying thank you. I mean, it sounds so basic, but a lot of it is basic. It's just a matter of... um you just, you don't need to, you know, showboat and like, you know, put on these airs and just try to be so like standoffish. You can, you're much more effective if you just maintain your respect, ask for what you need, be polite and, you know, go from there. But it's, it's really, I think a matter of, um, just basic decorum, Mm -hmm. but a lot of people don't have that. Well, I think I see it both sides too, right? Because it's like, there's the, let me be polite. Thank you so much. Here's what I need. Here's what I'm asking for. I'd love some clarification on this. Can you, you know, please tell me what this actually means or whatever. There's a way to do that for sure. And there's Mm -hmm. also the fear around that can also be seen as somehow difficult, even when you're just being straightforward. And Mm -hmm. it's also like you want to, arguably, I know people who go the opposite direction of like being way too, Too, what I would say, nice, where you're just like, oh my God, thank you so much. This was so wonderful. Obviously, you can't read tone in an email, but it's just like, I, you know, I really want to make this work. And so if I do, I'm willing to, and just like you lose the grounding of this is actually what's really important and And so how do we balance that part of the thing, right? Where it's like sometimes, yes, like you need to be, you need to be respectful and you need to be kind. Mm -hmm. And you also need to be direct enough that they're going to take you seriously and they're not going to walk all over you. Mm -hmm. I I mean, that, I mean, obviously this is, for each person it's different and whatever, but. And I think what exactly what you said is exactly what you have to do, right? You don't want to go over the, you know, over the top and the thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'm so thrilled and I'm so excited. You know, you don't want to go over the top, but what the way that you just said it, thank you. You know, this is what's extremely important to me. I would, I I would like to understand this con, you know, this provision a bit more. Can you explain um, how this works in practice? I would like to make sure that X, Y, Z, um, coverage is included. Um, mm-hmm. I appreciate your clarification. You know, there's there's a way to have those conversations where you're not being demanding, you know, you're you're just saying, I would appreciate if you could clarify this. I want to ensure that, you know, I have, you know, what is dot, dot your I's and cross your T's. I yeah. want to, you know, I want to make sure I have all my ducks in a row. And I think that, you know, most people are, I mean, people that give you the contracts are typically going to expect you to come back to them, mm-hmm. right? So um, I think that just be assertive, but be polite as you do so. Yeah. So with that, with this like hypothetical Mm -hmm. contract that I've been given, and now I'm unable to financially afford a lawyer, and I have used Google as my assistance and my guide, and I've thoroughly read my contract, recognizing that there are different kinds of contracts, is there Mm -hmm. anything that I should specifically always be looking for? Um, Yeah, I think that, I mean, obviously when it comes to payment, you want to know how you're getting paid, right? Are you getting paid um, in lump sums? Are you in in one lump sum? Are you getting paid in installments? Um, You know, that needs to be outlined clearly so that you understand you're getting paid in the beginning, you're getting paid at the end that is is extremely important how and when you're going to get paid um also for you know actors i know that the favored nations clauses can be very important and you know that's not going to necessarily be a standard in the contract so right. you want to make sure that you have negotiated that into your contract because you want to know that you're being treated the same as other people in you know the similar situated positions on the show mm-hmm. um so that 
um, equal contractual treatment is important. And that's something that you would want in there. Can you explain Um, for people who don't necessarily know what favored nations is, what that is? Yeah, it's basically just um, you want a clause in your contract that says that you are getting equal contractual treatment to others on the project. So let's say maybe you're not the lead, but you're in a supporting role. Mm -hmm. Um, This would ensure that other people that are in these same supporting roles, that you're all getting the same that the same compensation. So whether you're a white woman, whether you're a black man, whatever it is, you know, you're getting the same equal treatment. And that's very important. And also that's helpful because, you know, if there is a name of somebody maybe in the show that is a little bit bigger Mm -hmm. um, and that might have access to representation that you might not have, that'll help you because they, yes, that'll give you leverage. So that's, that's always, you know, that's that's a great clause to have in your contract. Um, you want to make sure that you know, for, again, for for actors or and for um, for theater, you want to know how and when you can leave the show if mm-hmm. necessary. Um, another thing that a lot of people don't think about, and this is for a lot of different areas, is exclusivity. So if you are um, doing a show or recording for one, you know, company or whatever it is, you want to make sure that you are not giving them exclusive rights to your talent or whatever, you know, whatever medium. Um, What could that mean? Like having exclusive right? If I were to have that in my clause, what would Mm -hmm. that mean for me? Um, So you would want to see, you know, are they saying that I can't do any other shows at a different time? Or let's say I'm working during the week. Am I forbidden from working during the weekend? Let's say I'm um, on Broadway, you know, all week. I mean, that's probably not the best example. So forgive, you know, forgive me here. But let's say you're you're in a show that runs from Monday through Friday um, every evening in Manhattan, but then you've also have an opportunity to be in a show on the weekend in Connecticut, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. You want to be able to do both if you want to be able, you know, if you want to do both. Let's say you have a side hustle, right? Because a lot of us, a lot of creatives have side hustles in the beginning when we're getting on our feet and need to make some more money. You want to make sure that whether you're an influencer, you know, as silly as that sound, but if you are on TikTok or if you're an influencer, You want to make sure you can maintain that stream of livelihood Mm -hmm. and that you are not forbidden from from doing something else on the side. Um, So those clauses are important. Um, You want to look at merchandising. You know, if if your face or your work is going to be um, used in connection with swag, for lack Mm -hmm. of a better word. that's a big deal. And that opens up a whole other can of worms. Who is going to own that right to your, you know, to your name, image, and likeness? Like you want to maintain that ownership of, of you, right? That's, you are your, like you are your best asset, especially if you're an entertainer. So those are all things that, um, that you definitely would want to consider, um, that I'm, you know, that I'm, thinking of off the top of my yeah. head. <laughs> that last part that you mentioned is, I mean, a huge component of these strikes right now of the studios really trying to, especially with AI, like be able to take our faces and bodies and use them in perpetuity. That is where a lawyer is really important because yeah. when you start getting into the merchandising and, you know, the licensing and the that becomes a whole different, you know, ball game. And yeah. you don't want to give up certain rights and and certain um, intellectual property assets that you own. Yeah. Um, so those that's very important to be protected. And again, not every contract is gonna, you know, have a merchandise component to yeah. it. But if it does, that's something that you really want to make sure you understand and um, that you're protected. I know this is. Um a sticky, broader question that we will not be able to solve or get really into the weeds about. But I am curious, though, like, how you protect that? Like, how do you protect your own likeness? You just say you can't. Because I know that I've read clauses that have been in contracts of mine that are, like, especially involved with the media part of it or the press part Mm -hmm. of it, which is, like, Mm -hmm. we can then use this perhaps if we 
there's like a very vague way of people saying it's possible we might actually need this and we might use it. And it might not say in perpetuity, but it might say in relationship to your time frame of being in this show or, mm-hmm. you know, give dates for it. How do we protect ourselves from that? It just seems so. I mean, so icky. if someone's going to use your faith, right? Or you want to make sure that you understand exactly what products it's going to be on. You want to understand the duration, uh, you know, only for a limited run for the purposes of this show. Um, You know, you want to know that your face isn't going to suddenly be splashed on an advertisement for whatever company that might be related to your production company, but is not, you know, something that you're familiar with or that you're actually working on, that's a misappropriation of your, of your likeness. And that's, you know, grounds for a lawsuit. Um, so I think that if, if there is a merchandising component, you, you want to understand very, very specifically how your name, image, and likeness will be used, um, and, and have a specific duration and, and have it all laid out. You don't want it to be vague because then they're going to try to use you for everything and that's not okay. Yeah. Um, so again, the more that is outlined and specific and, and specifically Mm -hmm. laid out for you, the better anything that's vague or that doesn't really, you know, tell you what, you want to know, like, how, how is it going to be used? Well, you want that outlined exactly. Yeah. Have you been using the same monologue for years and can use a new piece? Are you applying to BA, BFA, or MFA programs and need a monologue for that process? Are you someone who simply has no idea where to search for monologues? Well, lucky for you, I do what is called monologue sourcing, in which I find monologues specifically chosen for you. So many artists use pieces based off external labeling for types and roles rather than find pieces sharing who they really are and what speaks to them. So we'll meet virtually together. You share who you are as a human, what you love, your dislikes, your values, beliefs, family, friends, love, politics, you name it. I will help guide you through this. And then I go off on my own and find you monologues chosen just for you that fit like a glove. I've been doing monologue sourcing for years as an extension of the coaching I do with artists, and I have found pieces in this way for over hundreds of artists thus far. So if you are someone who wants to feel empowered about the monologues you bring into rooms and use for auditions, I would love to help you find them. And because you are a dedicated listener of the Empowered Artist Collective podcast, I want to provide you with a custom link to an exclusive rate when you check out today. Head to empoweredartistcollective.com slash podcast promo to register. That's empoweredartistcollective.com slash podcast promo right now. I cannot wait to help you find monologues you absolutely adore. What about in the land now of social media Mm -hmm. and people creating for themselves, Mm -hmm. perhaps using material from shows that already exist or perhaps um, collaborating with other collaborators who already have music or other forms of art, like the line of who owns what and Mm -hmm. that. I know that's more in the land of where you sit with like trademarking and copywriting. How do, what is that nebulous land? That's, and that is a very nebulous land, right? So if you are in a show and you want to use a snippet of that show of you in the show, you might not be able to, Right. right? Because if you don't own the copyright in the recording of that show, then you probably can't use it on your own social media. You know, again, all of this would likely be outlined in your contract. Um, I would say for social, if it's your original content, you're free to use it. Um, But you certainly cannot use something from somebody else's. Here's a perfect example. Um, The Kardashians, right? Right. Courtney Kardashian, Courtney Kim, who's the one that's pregnant and just held up the sign? Oh, it's it is Courtney. I thought I think it's Courtney. Courtney, the one the one who's married to music. Forgive me that I don't know my Kardashian lingo. <laughs> it's but, Courtney. It's Courtney. Okay, so she was yeah, just at a, Chloe's, at a concert. Yeah, because Chloe's the other one. Yeah, it's Courtney. Mm-hmm. Okay, 
Great. So she held up this sign, right? Yes. And said, like, I'm pregnant. Well, I have seen a lot of people in their social media have a photo, have this photo of Courtney holding up the sign. They whited out whatever she had on the sign and like put something advertising their own product. You cannot do that. She owns, well, first off, there's, you know, her name, image, and likeness. That's, so now you're using her face to sell your own thing. You don't know who owns that photograph. Um, so, you know, you have to be very careful when you're taking um, other people's protected intellectual property and using it on your feed. So I always say, and again, I have um, a book blog. So I, you know, I'm on, on Instagram a lot for that. But you have to, you know, you have to be careful when you are creating content. If it's your own content, you're good, right? As long as you're not trying to use somebody else's trademark in it or, you know, whatever it is. But if it's your own stuff, you're okay. When you start trying to take other people's things and you're not quite sure who owns what or who, you know, can I post this recording or can I, then you're going to have challenges. Well, that's, that's a whole I know because I think about, you know, so many artists, myself included, who have like taken, you know, a cut of a song and then recorded it and put it on our socials. I have had, you know, clips on YouTube many, many years ago because I don't really post there at all now. But, you know, be like, oh, we can no longer keep this up because it violates copyright because it's linked to somebody else and an artist. And it was, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think especially musical theater when so much so much of the material that we're using is copywritten material. It's from other places. That's how we're auditioning for things. We're using material from other shows to audition. And I, I know in right. like today's day and age, especially with social media, that's a huge way that people are sharing what they do because they're taking other people's work and singing it or performing mm -hmm. it. What? <laughs> it's again, I mean, this is, it's, it's a huge can of worms. I mean, look, even if you make a reel on Instagram, yeah. right, you can have music that you think is okay because it's coming from Instagram, but then two days later, they're yeah. like, the, the music from your reel is gone, right? Correct. So a lot of people, if you are, look, it's different if you're putting something on your feed and you're not trying to monetize it necessarily, right? Because there, there is some, there is fair use of yeah. certain material, right? What does that mean? Uh, so fair use of copyrighted material means if you are reviewing something, so let's say I'm reviewing a Taylor Swift song, right? Mm -hmm. I can use the lyrics of her song and then talk about them in a way that's transformative because I'm not trying to compete with her. I'm just trying to give commentary on her music, right? That's okay. Well, you would open um, yourself up to a lot of contradiction because those Swifties are Swift, but yeah, yes, I those hear Swifties you. Are those movies can be tough, right? So yeah. if you're criticizing her, you want to be careful. Yeah, I, I wouldn't love, recommend I that one as the know, particular do, lyrics that you would analyze. I, but I do love some Taylor Swift, though. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um. Though, so then there's also you know parody. Like if you are like Saturday Night Live. Yeah. So much of that is you know they're taking other people's copyrighted material and then poking fun at it or providing some kind of you know humorous commentary or whatever, that's okay. So it, it depends on how you're trying to use it. Um, I would have to, that's a very good question. If you're auditioning for something and you're using somebody else's song and you put a video on your Instagram, that, I need to find out. I think that that would be okay because you're not, you're not selling anything with that. Yeah. But that's a that's a good question. I'm off the top of my head. I'm not quite sure, I but know. I want to find out about that. I'll get back to you. Yeah, it's a slippery it's a slippery mm -hmm. slope. And up until this point, that I think has been most of the norm. The amount of mm -hmm. friends of mine that have posted themselves, you know, singing clips from shows or are other mm -hmm. art recording artists and using that on their social media and on their websites as samples of their work. That mm -hmm. is just kind of what has been in the zeitgeist thus far. But I think right. there is a real shift now with content creation and TikTok specifically and social media being a short form video that is mm -hmm. able to monetize your talent in a very Ex different way that that shift, I, I just, I mean, I think we're like asking these questions as we're probably in process of navigating what is going to come of it. If I had to guess. 
Exactly. And there's a big difference between using something for your portfolio, right? Where mm-hmm. you're not necessarily monetizing yourself, but you're showing it to others as a sample of your work versus you using a song that you sang and you're, you know, let's say you, you're singing, I feel pretty mm-hmm. and you're using it in connection with trying to, you know, put lipstick on and you're trying to like sell the brand. Right. Interesting, so yeah. that's a different story because you're, you're singing a song and you're trying to sell lipstick in connection with the song that you don't own and you're trying to monetize what you're doing. So if you're trying to make money from something, which a lot of influencers and content creators are, there's a very fine line um, between, you know, using something for your portfolio. I guess that is the shift though, right? The shift can be now though, like I could post a, I could post a video of an audition that I used material from and then because it's lived online for so long or gained traction then i am getting paid for that my intention around it was not to be paid it was simply to share and be used as part of my portfolio in theory right but now it's it's actually making me money and i again i just i'm bringing up these things as things that i'm worried about i'm not posting content that is of me performing in this capacity that's not my lane at the moment at least nor do i right being but it's not my lane um but i you know i have so many friends that they are going down that route in the content creation world which is so incredible and just i guess for me i'm i'm hopeful and worried for them you know this whole social media content creation AI, there's so it's so fast and furious with things changing every day that my I always say to friends and fellow influencers and fellow bloggers, if you are the slightest bit hesitant because you're not sure, err on the side of caution Mm -hmm. until you have someone help you figure it out and figure out if it's legal or not. And that's always, you know, go with your gut. Um that's always my, you know, my first thought. How does somebody know that they're at the point that they need to trademark something, their name? When do you know that this is the journey that one might want to go down? Um, I think if you, let's say you have a side hustle and you are starting a small business, whether you're coaching or you're selling, you know, small products that you're creating or, you know, whatever it is. Um you always, always, always want to make sure that nobody else is using your name. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have a business that you do think could be profitable and you're selling around the country, um, trademarking is always a good idea because let's say your company blows up, right? And you didn't file a trademark. And then someone comes after you and files and, and starts a company for similar goods or services and their name is confusingly similar to yours, right? If they file the trademark first, then you are going to have to legally fight them because if you're not in the trademark system at the Patent and Trademark Office, if you haven't filed an application, they'll get, um, they'll get a registration even though you were using the mark first. So you're going to then have to go to the PTO. You're going to have to fight them for the mark. And that's a whole other, you know, legal battle and a whole waste of resources that you wouldn't have to um, waste, essentially, if you had done a trademark in the beginning. And that's different Um, than, say, you protecting your business by having an LLC or an S-Corp, correct? Yes. Having an LLC or an S-Corp does not give you trademark registration rights. There could be a million companies with similar businesses, with similar business names. Having an Instagram account with your name, having a Threads account, a Twitter account, does not give you legal rights to that name. The only way that you get legal rights to the name is if you have a trademark registration with the Patent and Trademark Office. And that could um, be just for your name or is it for the product you could or actually, both? actually, you could have a, you, well, it depends how you're, like what mark you're using. For instance, let's go back to our Matt Damon example because mm-hmm. I know he has a trademark on his Are name. Are we going to get sued for... for using his name? Is this going to happen here? <laughs> no, we're, okay. we're, we're educating. <laughs> Great. So he is um, he has a mark for his name in connection with entertainment services, right? So if your name is Matt Damon or Matt, you know, Feynman, 
and you come along and you want to be an actor, well, you might want to go under a different name because you're going to have trouble because he owns the mark. He has the rights to use that name and prevent any confusion. I mean, look at like um, Michael Jordan and Michael Jordan. Yeah. Remember, you know, that Michael Jordan and Michael Michael, B. Jordan. Mm -hmm. Right. So I always, I never actually looked that up, but I'd be curious if Michael B, Michael B. Jordan is that, the young actor, right? Mm -hmm. He probably has to use Michael B. Jordan to prevent confusion with Michael Jordan. I also imagine if I had to guess to Michael Jordan, I don't, again, this is totally hypothesized, who knows, but I imagine he's been in enough on camera things that in SAG after land, he's actually like in the system with his name already. And you can't have somebody else who has your same exact name in the system. I wonder if that's part of it too. That I don't know. I'm not familiar with those exact rules, um, but possibly, yeah. quite possibly, um, so yeah, so you can trademark your name. Um, you wouldn't trademark necessarily Jennifer Apple in connection with a podcast, but you would trademark Jennifer Apple in connection with your um, entertainment services, right? And you could trademark Empowered Artists Collective in connection with a podcast. So it just depends on what you are doing and mm-hmm. how you're doing it and what goods and services you offer. Um, and then, you know, same goes for copyright. Like once you write a song, once you record a piece of music or write a book, you have copyright protection in and to that work because you are the one who physically wrote that, that creative work. However, if someone infringes upon that work, right? Meaning meaning what? Meaning they copy it. Right. So let's say someone takes your song, they see your words somewhere and then they sell it to somebody else. Right. And all of a sudden someone's using your, your song. Um, you couldn't sue them unless you had an actual copyright registration. Um, for your name or for this song? For that piece of work. So every single time you create something, you have to copyright it. Isn't that like a crazy dangerous situation? You do not have to file for a registration. However, so you have copyright protection the second that you create a work. If you need to somehow bring in action, let's say you need to send a cease and desist letter to someone because someone's using your mark or or someone's using your work, then you need to have a copyright registration. So then there's another fine line. How many, you know, how many, what do you want to register? How often should you register? Some people will register for every, you know, Every song they every song they write, every book they write. So it's just, you Can know. Can I ask what that costs? Um, so for filing a copyright registration, it's like two or three hundred dollars for okay. to file the application. That's the government filing fee. And then typically an attorney will charge you a flat fee. And it's not very a few hundred dollars to prepare the application. It's not really very intense, uh, intensive, labor intensive. Um, For a trademark application, it's the same thing. I want to say it's about $325 per class. So let's say you want to file Jennifer Apple in connection with entertainment services. Let's say that's one class. And then let's say you want to... um, Like let's say for my coaching, I wanted it... For your coaching, right? I'm not... I'm blanking on what class that would be in, but there are likely two different classes that would be considered a two class application so your government filing fee would be whatever it was the 325 375 350 per class plus the attorney's fee so i would probably charge to prepare that application um cuz i'm more flexible than like a big box law firm since i'm an independent practitioner um i would probably charge a flat fee of like $500 to get the application to prepare it all and then to file it and then um and then the government fees would be, you know, however much or however many, it would be determined by how many classes you're filing in. And it's only by state or you can, what, you have to protect yourself across the states or you do it by state and it's just where so you live. If, so if, let's say you're only selling in Florida, you're only doing something in Florida, you, um, you could get away with just filing a state trademark application. But what I'm talking about is a, um, a U.S., Got it. Uh, federal trademark registration. So if you're coaching services and you have a website and you're coaching clients all over the country, then you want a federal registration. Got it. Got it. And so mm-hmm. the time frame from you filing to getting approved, 
could take how long? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, it's actually running really late right now. That's not surprising. Um, Come on. Why? Are there other things going on in the government that need our attention? What do you mean? I know, right? I mean, shocker. But yeah. right now, I think the applications are taking anywhere from like 10 months to a year to a little bit longer. And that's with no issues. So let's say they think your mark is confu- or is descriptive or it's confusingly similar to another mark, then you're going to have to respond to office actions and you're going to have to explain why. So there's a whole process. But Again, if you are starting a small business or if you have a small business, you're always better off getting that protection and nailing it down in the beginning um, because you don't want to have to go out, go after somebody who started using the mark after you, but got the registration before you. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. It's just such an interesting thing because it's like for performers specifically, or if I just think about, you know, myself, it's like, I am my product. Right. Right. (laughs) Like, you know, anything that I perform in any time that I am coaching, like these two hats specifically, like I am that thing, you know? Right. So it's, it, it feels somehow strange to be like protecting me. <laughs> like, I mean, I know that's the whole point of it, but that, yeah, it's, look, some of these artists get enter, you know, get insurance on their body parts, right? Yeah. It's, it's the same kind of idea. And again, it might not be necessary to trademark your actual name yet, Mm-hmm. Um, there are many actors and actresses who probably have not trademarked their actual name, sure. who don't have an actual registration because if someone starts using a name or if someone comes along, you know, I'm trying to use a fake name that's similar, you can kind of be like, hey, stop, right? Yeah. Or in the field, the, people are going to want to be their own name, right? So yeah. how many how many John Smiths are there that are, you know, huge in the acting world? Maybe a few, I don't know. I don't know but <laughs> your name is going to be typically a little bit more unique. So as we begin to wind down our time, what else should I have asked you? (laughs) What else, if I am an an, an artist, a performer specifically, um, an actor, somebody in the creative space, um, what else would behoove me to know when it comes to contracts, when it comes to protections, when it comes to advocating, negotiating? Um, I think I just can't reiterate enough because so many people sign things every day that they just kind of sign and don't read that the only thing that I would stress again, even though I've kind of already said it is do not sign anything that you do not understand. Do not sign anything without reading it. Um, so I guess you could have asked me, Hey, well, what if I think I know what I'm talking about, but Mm -hmm. you know, should I, should I proceed? Should I not? If you think you understand it, but you're not sure, get help, do your research, get a lawyer. If you can talk to friends in, you know, in the industry who have signed similar contracts, maybe even someone that's in, you know, has a little more leverage than you do like a mentor. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I can't stress that enough. Because especially when you are the asset and you are, you know, this is your livelihood, um, you just want to protect yourself as as much as you can. And there's nothing more important than that. Yeah. Thank you for all of this. The interesting part, again, is like, you know, we're in a strike right now where many contracts will not be signed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this is a really helpful conversation so that people can get ducks in a row for when things hopefully do pick back up. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, if this is a topic that people are interested in learning more about or if they want to work with you, where can people find you? What are some helpful tools or resources that you might have to share with people? Um, how can people stay in touch or ask more questions? All of that. Um, absolutely. Um, I'm on Instagram at LB Legal Creative. Um, you can send me a message there. Um, you can connect with me. You can connect with me on threads. I would be happy to offer um, anyone, especially with the strike going on. And I know a lot of people are probably trying to figure out other creative ways to make money. Um, if anyone wants to talk to me about, you know, influencer agreements, um, sponsored content agreements, anything like that. I'm happy to give like a free 20 minute consultation. If someone just wants to say that they saw me on your podcast, Mm -hmm. Um, you can either send me a direct message or um, my website is lblegalcreative.com. You can find me on there. There's like a project request form on there. 
Um, and we can set something up. If I don't know if it actually just says consultation as one of the things you can check, but yeah. just check something and then write empowered artists collective in the subject. And I'm happy to, to talk about that. Um, but those are the two places that you can find me right now. If you have children by chance and want to find the best books for your kids, you can find me by my other, my other face is happily ever elephants, um, where I blog all things kids books. So if someone's in the industry and in the writing world, you may have heard of me through that domain. Yeah. So that's kind of like my little side creative gig. Cause I love writing, but, um, but those are the, those are the places where you can find me. Thank you so much for um, having this conversation with me. And of course. Uh, I know it was perhaps in some ways, like a, I, I wouldn't call it surface space in any way, but like it's so hard to get into the specifics and you don't have the specifics in front of you. So I appreciate you being willing to live in the nebulousness of the hypotheticals um, right. while still talking about things that are important um, and uh, for offering um, your services to folks in this community. I know people Absolutely. have often reach out to me to be like, hey, I know you did this contract. Who did you use? And then we all kind of help each other. And I really do believe that this industry is stronger when we help each other. And so thank you for being a resource for us artists um, as we navigate um, difficult things. So of course, appreciate of you. course, I get it. And I am here to help however I can. And um, I love this opportunity. This was yeah. so great. Thank you for having me. Yes. Thank you for being here. Of course. As a mid-season gift to us, if you feel compelled to leave us a positive review, our hearts over here at the Empowered Artists Collective will be super grateful to you. It allows us to continue reaching new human beings who want to be engaging in these conversations, and it means the most to us. If that is too big of an ask, you can always forward an episode that resonates with you to a friend or a family member, or you can click the like, the subscribe button, the little bell button to notify you when an episode drops. If you do do not like this podcast, just let that all slide. If you're not yet doing so, please follow us on Instagram at Empowered Artists Collective, on TikTok at Empower Artists Collective, more on our website at empoweredartistscollective.com. If you are wanting to be kept in the loop, we have a link in our show notes to get on our mailing list. And if you are seeking some awesome, fun, cute little merchandise, we also have a link for you in our show notes for that as well. As always, I am so endlessly grateful that you keep on coming back. Keep an eye out for our episode guide in the interim, and we will see you again post our mid-season hiatus in the fall. Until then.